0: Robin Sloan's first novel is Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore. Thank you for joining me, Robin. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. Robin, I love the feel of this book, which has this great kind of a fairy tale in a big city feel. And I'd like you to talk about discovering that and creating that in this prose, which seems so clean and crisp.
1: It's good to hear that. Um, you know, the, you talk about the city and you think about San Francisco as a setting for these kind of stories. Um, I have to say that that piece of it came out of... My own experience. I lived in the city for years and years, and increasingly, I felt like I was meeting a certain cast of characters, um, and you know, there are people like programmers and designers and special effects artists and, and all the rest um, that I didn't, I wasn't finding them in novels. You know, I'm a big reader of novels of of all genres myself, um, and I kind of was like, I wasn't finding these folks, and so um, over time, I kind of got to thinking like, th- these people deserve to be part of these stories like there there there's a great cast of characters to work with um and so if nobody else is going to do it then maybe it's up to me
0: i and that brings us to the characters in the in the novel who are so much fun and i'd like you to talk about creating this cast from the people you know yet uh bringing them the way they read is a, there's a bit of archetype in them, and I, that's what I really like. Is they it's a it's an art you discover archetypes that we've not yet seen yet.
1: I think that's right. I'm I'm actually glad to hear you say the word archetype. I think that is exactly right. Um, and and I like it in in two distinct ways. One is. Um, I will confess, I just love the books that feature the the warrior, the wizard, and the rogue. You know the classic, those classic, you know, triads or pairings, or the sort of the classic D and D adventuring party. Um, it's an old trope, but I think it's a good one and it works. And um, and I I find pleasure in it as a reader. So I wanted to to have fun with with that trope a little bit myself. But of course, it's not a warrior, a wizard, and a rogue anymore. It's it's different people with different skills. And again, you know, I mean, to pick one as an example. Um, I worked at tech companies here in San Francisco, and I would meet these characters who were programmers, um, but they weren't just programmers. Um, they were these sort of humanistic, kind of full-spectrum, just super-talented, super-ambitious people. Um, they seemed omni-capable in a lot of ways, which which is you know appealing, it can also be intimidating. There's something that can be almost a little inhuman about it at times. Um so I thought this character of the of the ambitious kind of like analytical programmer was an interesting one. Um and I wanted to get that in the book. So so Kat, um who's who's one of the heroes and, and also the love interest of, of this novel, um she's a programmer at Google.
0: I, I like that vision of technology and those people who use it crossed with art to the point where the difference between technology art and art and magic is somewhat uh, negligible.
1: I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think um, one of the things that actually annoys me, has has kind of grown to annoy me, frustrate me, I should say, more and more, is this old... Dichotomy. This old assumption that people are either like left-brained or right-brained. You know, they're, well, you're either good at technology, you're either good at math, or you're good at writing. You're either good at, you know, geometry, or you're good at art. Um, and I don't know. I don't know where we got this idea. I don't know where this got kind of embedded into our school system and our popular culture. But it's totally wrong. Um, it's completely wrong. And in fact, um, people who are good at either one of those things very often um, are good at, or at least really deeply interested in the other. Um, so actually, I would say that all of my characters, to, to one degree or another, um, they they have a foot in both worlds. They have a, a foot in the, in the humanistic world, um, but also a foot firmly planted in the technological world. Because I think it's just more realistic.
0: You know, when we first encounter... Mr. Penumbra's bookstore, we know this is a place where there's going to be grand adventures. And that's just so counterintuitive because you, the way you paint it is small. And I love this idea of a bookstore as a place where you're going to find infinite grand adventures.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's well, so a bit of homage to, to Borges there, you know, the idea of the infinite library and these and these storage spaces for books actually being springboards for like crazy alternate worlds is like you know you kind of bow down to the master um but i have to say i also have to give credit to to some some pretty random influences i mean um the the idea of a 24-hour bookstore which is by the way a terrible idea like why would you run into a bookstore 24 hours a day i have to i have to trace that back to 2008 i can remember this very vividly i was walking down the street here in san francisco um i was reading twitter and i saw a tweet a tweet from my friend rachel and it said um this was the this was the tweet just misread a sign that said 24-hour book drop as 24-hour book shop. My disappointment is beyond words. And that made me laugh, and I just thought it was an interesting mistake. And more than anything else, it kind of made me go, oh, yeah, 24-hour bookstore. I'll bet something interesting would happen in a 24-hour bookstore. And in a way, I mean, there's, as you know, there's, there's a lot more to the book, and it goes in a lot of different directions and ends up, you know, crossing centuries and the continent. But I would say the whole thing is kind of is kind of bound up in that in that phrase. Oh, man, something interesting must happen in a 24-hour bookshop. The tweet that launched a literary career. (laughs) Right, 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 right. I should send Rachel a check or something.
0: As you uh, crafted this book and put together the plot, I'd like you to talk about starting from a, you know, one kind of beginning, but taking it elsewhere and how much of this book you knew in advance and how much of it
1: you discovered as you wrote the book? That's a really, really good question. Um, I feel like I, I knew where it started because um, I had the tweet, and I also had a short story. The, the, sort of the next step after that was not a full-blown novel, but a, a, a piece of small fiction um, that was just published on the internet, um, and it basically all took place inside the bookstore. You know, It was fully circumscribed by the, by the four walls of that establishment. Um, so that's where it started. I knew that was the solid starting point. From the beginning, as I was thinking about the novel, I had a sense for how it was going to end. I had a sense for what I thought the great secret might be or the the way I would want to construct a great a great secret. Um, but I didn't know what was going to connect that beginning to the to the big aha at the end. Um, and you know, I, I would say it was a mix. I you hear about some people who just, take it page by page and you hear about people who construct you know intricate diagrams where it's all connected and there's graph paper involved and um and for me it was a pretty organic mix of the two i was sketching things out as i went i was kind of building scaffolding um in my head um but at the same time sometimes i'd I'd be writing and something would surprise me and i would just i would kind of just follow my nose The sensibility of this book, I think, is what really its great strength because it's
0: fun and it's funny, but it also has a lot of very serious and interesting thought behind it and the way you bring this out in the prose. It it comes out uh, through the prose. I'd like you to talk about the kind of modulations you have to make as a writer between kind of big concepts and serious thoughts to writing a novel that's fun to read and writing an adventure. Mm -hmm. You know...
1: I don't know that I might be overstating this connection. I might be kind of giving it too much credit in fact in my own in my own mind, but um I'm always conscious of the fact that I essentially grew up as a writer or learned how to write on the internet. Um and I think the internet values a certain set of things that maybe other kinds of publishing don't. I think one of them is voice. It's a really um human Natural, authentic voice. I think you really get called out on the internet if your prose is kind of stiff and sort of, you know, old school, um, like like an old newspaper. You know, like newspaper writing, old old-fashioned newspaper writing actually just doesn't feel right on the web. Um, so there's that that notion of voice, but there's also the notion of um, of having some depth. You know, like I think I think people respond to things with an argument. Like you want they want people to actually have something to say, even if it's just a you know in the space of a tweet or a blog post. Um, so there's a certain discipline there, again I don't want to totally overstate it because there's a lot of garbage on the web too, but um, the kind of part of the internet that I was most interested in and kind of most involved in for many years, it just tended to really reward those two things, um, the combination of a just really, just natural, um, kind of low-key, authentic, human, first-person voice, but with some ballast, um, some, some ideas behind it, so I think I just kind of took that into, into fiction the
0: way you work the elements of the fantastic into this novel is really nice it seems very naturalistic which is something of an oxymoron
1: (laughs) right you know i was um there are earlier drafts of this book that um have um events and ideas they're actually much more fantastic and sort of uh, press at the boundaries of uh you know our established notions of space-time and immortality and what's possible and um, I would say that the process of writing this book and then revising it was actually a process of dialing those things back um, because I just always had to stop and kind of ask myself, like, do, like why break the laws of physics in this book? I mean, I think there's other books where you it's fine to do that. You actually can have a lot of fun playing with totally different thermodynamic regimes and magic tricks and everything else. Um, but for this book, um, a book that really is about, like, the world we live in and the kind of problems we're facing today and, you know, the things that I've experienced in, in a city like San Francisco, um, I ended up deciding I wanted everything. Um, you know, it is it is fantastical. There are secret societies and crazy mysteries and, you know, all sorts of stuff, um, secret codes, um, but it's all, you know, it's all possible. It, there's nothing here that, like, there's no, no, no dragons sort of appear over San Francisco. Maybe that's a spoiler, but... <laughs>
0: When you were uh, creating uh, the kind of uh, book, the imagined books in this, uh, that seems that's one of the most fun discoveries we have. I love reading books about imaginary books, and I'd like you to talk about uh, your experience of reading about imaginary books and then getting the chance to dream them up.
1: Well, there's there's two parts to that because, of course, Mr. Penumbra's Twenty Four Hour Bookstore um, has two parts. One is stocked with real books, and the other is with these these imaginary books. Um, That you mentioned um, and both of those parts were fun um on the real side i got to essentially stock a fictional bookstore with all my favorites i got to give these shout outs and kind of pay homage to everybody from Dashiell hammett to isaac asimov to walter isaacson and William gibson like there's all you know if a book if a book's title or an author appears in the pages of mr penumber's 24-hour bookstore you can bet that is a my way of saying you know thank you thank you for for writing this book it is all homage um but then the invented books were fun too because um because honestly that too is a way to sort of um to sort of you know tip your hat to people um all of those books um the so-called codex vitae um which are titled with people's names like they don't have titles like you know gone with the wind they have titles like sloan or grossman it's the 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 the, the author's name kind of um kind of stands in for the whole work um, and all of those names mean something. I didn't choose any at random. Um, and some of them are you know other writers, some of them are San Francisco characters. Some of them are sort of I don't want to give them all away because there's some I think there's actually some fun secrets to, to sort of be discovered there. Um, but it was it was it was fun to exactly I think one of the things you get to do with fiction is you get to kind of create these spaces and stock these shelves that you'd never be able to get to do in real life because that's like really hard and expensive um, but uh but when it's on the page, it's a little cheaper. it's a little easier i i love the all the uh
0: technorati or, or that you include in this book all, all all the the workers at the high high tech firms because they seem so real and so and so nice and I'd like you to just talk about crafting those characters and weaving them into
1: this world well that's that goes back to that um notion of archetypes that you mentioned earlier um i think that uh there's actually two archetypes there. One is the archetypal tech worker, you know, the happy denizen of of one of these high-tech campuses in Silicon Valley. And then the arch- other archetype is the company itself. And I would say, actually, that Google itself, not just Google employees, but kind of Google as a institution, as an organization, is a character in this book, or sort of, yeah, yeah functions as a character in this book. Um, and I, I actually really enjoy being able to do that, again, mostly because you know, according to my experience of the world, that's real, like Google really does operate that way. I hadn't seen it in fiction yet. um, And so I was pretty determined to kind of get it in there and, and represent it that way.
0: Well, that's such an interesting notion to take a company and its method of operation and, and cast it as a character. We've all heard cities as characters, but to create a company as a character, that's a really interesting approach and I think uh opens up a whole new big
1: door. I think so too. I mean I, I very selfishly as a reader I would like to see more people take that on, um, with companies and organizations both real and imagined. Um, you know, I can say, um, from, from what I've heard from people, um, you know, people have read the book, who work at Google, um, you know, it's not a documentary portrayal of Google at all. It's um, a very, I would say, affectionate exaggeration. Um, there's some, some notes of satire in there, too. Um, but it's not the real Google, of course not. It's a, you know, it's a character in a novel. Um, but people who work at Google, who have worked at Google, have read the book, and, and they tend to report back. They kind of they nod slowly and say, yep, you pretty much got it right. So what kind of establishment will you be opening next? (laughs) That's a good question. That's a good question. I do think, um, I think San Francisco and this whole Bay Area is still so ripe for exploration. Um, I think there are more institutions, um, not just in the tech world, but maybe in the world of food, um, the world of sort of sustainable thinking, you know, for better or for worse. Um, I think there's actually a lot more to explore. I I don't know exactly what shape it's going to take, but I do know it's going to be here. It's going to be in San Francisco.
0: I've been speaking with Robin Sloan. His new novel is Mr. Penumbra's 24-hour bookstore. Thank you for joining me, Robin.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.